All right, good morning, Riverside. I go back and forth every week. I use the microphone, the lapel, I use the headsets. I think I finally found something I like. So I'm going to go with this. Hopefully everybody can hear me okay. Um, I am, uh, I'm loving this book. I'm loving the book of Ruth. It's funny how so often like you can, you can go through a book in the Bible and read it many times, but until you really begin to dig deeper, you're like, I missed so much good stuff. And remember, we've been walking through the book of Ruth, and we've been talking about love. We've been painting a picture of what it looks like, what godly love looks like, what hesed, unconditional love really looks like. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about this idea that book of, the book of Ruth starts off with suffering. It starts off with Naomi's suffering. And Drew, you want to throw that chart up there? This is the chart that I wanted to show that day. Instead, I was doing like my own little diagram myself, but you see the, the top line represents hope. It's the hope that so many of us have up there. And look at the bottom line, that represents our reality. For many of us, our reality is right there, and that space in between is the gap. That's the desert. And that when we're in the desert, what that really represents is suffering. Suffering is the desert. And remember what we said? We said, Everyone whom God uses, he takes through the desert. There's so many people that you could look at in the Bible, and all of them went through the desert. And it's no different in the life of Naomi. But the desert is where we can really see God's love. So we started that off on the first week. And then last week, Brian walked us through and said, man, let's look at some examples of what God's hesed love really looks like from God and look at it from the, the characters in the story. And God, I mean, what Brian was saying was, we see it in three ways last week. And he said, number one, that it was faithful, that the beginning of the scripture that Brian looked at last week was that there was hope because God had brought food. And they had heard that there was food back in their land and they went back to the land. We saw that hesed love takes action, that what it really does, it steps into the world of somebody else. And that we see Ruth stepping into the world of Naomi and Ruth taking action. And lastly, what we saw was that Hesed love, it cost something. Because what Ruth was doing by stepping into Naomi's world, she was giving up everything for Naomi. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father did for us. By stepping into our world, he gave up his only son. So we started to paint this picture of Hesed love. You see, what God calls us to do is to see his love, but he also calls us to love like that. You remember with the last sermon series in Ephesians, Ephesians 5 when Paul said, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That we're called to walk the same exact way. I read a story by a Christian apologist. His name is um, Alistair McGrath, and it was kind of interesting because he talks about how he was, an, he was an atheist, and then he came to know Christ, and he was just absorbing as much knowledge as he could about Christ. And it's interesting because he says, yet a year or so into my Christian life, all was not well. I tended to think of faith as a set of ideas only. Sure, I love God with all my mind, but what about my heart and my imagination? 
I sensed I was standing on the threshold of something enormously rich and satisfying, but I saw it only from a distance, uncertain of whether I could ever grasp it. You see, that's one of the biggest prayers that we have for all of you in this sermon series, is that you would see God's love, that you would see his love. That is our desire for you. Because then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 3, that's what his prayer is to the Ephesian church. He tells them that they would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you would see his love. And I hope that you see from the bottom of our hearts, our desire is that you would know him. Not know what we say, but know Christ and know his love and experience his love. It's one thing to tell somebody who has arthritis about how great the hot tub feels. But it's another thing when you actually get into the hot tub yourself and you feel it for yourself. And that is our honest desire for all of you because I'm telling you right now, when you experience it, you've got one word, which is I remember on my knees one night praying to God and saying, God, I never knew it was like this because I was so stuck here. But I didn't know what it was like to be here. You see, it's God's Hesed love for us that comes after us. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias calls it the hounds of heaven. He has to come after us. And that's what I was telling you two weeks ago. You see, in my life, I was making good money. I had a good job. I had a house. I had a car. Why did I need God? I had everything. I was doing everything on my own. But it wasn't until I hit that desert that it caused me to step back and to go to him. You see, we don't need God as long as we're in control. The question is, what does God have to do to get our attention? What does God have to do to try to draw people who want nothing to do with him? And for the unbeliever, it can be suffering in their life that draws them to him. And for the believer, it can be suffering in our life to draw us back to him as our only source. The desert empties us of ourselves. The desert empties us of ourselves. And what we're going to see today is what is the proper way? How do we respond when we're in the midst of the desert? And we're going to look at Naomi's response as she is in the desert right now. What my prayer is today for each and every one of you here is that we would start the path of entering into his love story by looking at Naomi. You ready? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, every week we say that you've got so much to say in your word. I pray, Father, just prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning, Lord. Speak your word. Show us your love, Lord, and show us what are we called to do when we're in the midst of suffering, Father. Lord, we just lift us up in prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to look at Ruth 1, verses 19 through 22. So Ruth 1, verses 19 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, open up. We'll have it on the screen also. Ruth 1, verses 19 through 22. And it says this. 
So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And they came to Bethlehem, the whole town. I'm sorry, when, when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the Harley Barvest, 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 Barley Harvest. <laughs> you see, last week, Brian talked about how there was some hope and they returned home. So where we pick up the story right now, he's got Ruth and Naomi returning back home to Bethlehem, the house of food. The Lord has provided food and they've heard this and now they've traveled back to Bethlehem. But you see, Naomi is different because Naomi is beaten down. Naomi has just gone through and she's in the midst of going through the desert right now. And when she returns, the women of the village say, is this Naomi? Now the scripture doesn't tell us the context in which they're saying, is this Naomi? Are they saying, is this Naomi? Looking at her like, wow, she looks really beat down. Or are they saying it in the context of, wow, is this Naomi? The surprise and excited to see her. But what Naomi's response is, she's saying, don't call me Naomi. Because Naomi literally means pleasant. It means sweet. And she said, don't call me pleasant or sweet. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She's like, I am bitter. You see, that's how we feel when we go through suffering. Let's be honest. We feel bitter. We feel angry. It's a type of response when we go in the midst of the desert. We feel bitter and we feel angry. And that's exactly how Naomi feels right now. In fact, the definition of bitter is angry, hurt, or resentful because of one's bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment. And that's exactly how Naomi feels right now. She feels like she has been dealt with unjustly, and she's blaming God. You know, it's interesting because this reminds me of another story in Scripture. If we go back to the book of Exodus, remember is, is Moses has now led the Israelites out of the Red Sea, and here they are in the wilderness of Shur, and they're there, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water, and they came to a place called what? Mara. And there the, the water was bitter, and they could not drink the water. And God gives instructions to, to, to Moses to put a log in the water, and the log makes the water sweet. And what God tells him, and he says to them after this, and he says, because the people began grumbling against Moses because of this, and uh, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statues. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. You see, when we go through suffering, many times we are bitter toward God. We're angry toward God, you see. And when we look at the stories about the Israelites, it's interesting because we can look at those stories and say, man, they were just crazy. They just didn't have any faith at all. But when you're reading stories about the Israelites, you know who you're really looking at? You're looking at yourself. You're looking at exactly how we respond and we act toward God because we blame God for our suffering. We ask questions like, God, why did you do this to me? 
Why did you do this to me? Instead of our own decisions in our own life that we've made or the sin that is in our life. You see, what Naomi thinks is Naomi believes that God is punishing her. She's bitter because she thinks that God is punishing her. And when we do that, it really shows our selfishness because it's all about us. But there's really two sides to Naomi's response. You see, the bad side of her response to God is that she was complaining that God was bringing the suffering on her. And theologically, that's not correct. That God was not punishing her through her suffering. She says things like, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Or the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Not on her family's decision to leave Bethlehem where he's called them to be. She thinks that God is punishing her. The other thing that she's doing is she's complaining to other people. She's going and she's complaining to other people. But it's not all bad. It's not all bad because she does do some good things too. You see, the one thing that she does is she is honest. She is truly sharing her heart. She's being authentic. And she's displaying faith in God because she still believes even though it's theologically not right, she still believes that God is in control of everything. And in doing so, she's staying in the story. You see, Naomi is doing what we call lamenting. Lamenting is the proper response in the desert. It is literally a crying out to God for help or in distress. And what you're doing when you lament is you are sharing your heart with him. And when you're doing that, you're going to the very person that you should be going to, which is God. Lament is good. Lament is openly confessing our poverty of spirit. And you know what Jesus' response to that was? When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. A lament is crying out to God and saying, God, I need help. And we're going to God. We're going to him. I want to read for you guys an example. I want you to listen to these words right now. This is the example of a man crying out to God. He says this. He says, God, are you avoiding me? Where are you when I need you? Long enough, God. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God. My God, I want to look life in the eye. And when you hear someone talking like that to God, what is your response? This person's angry. This person's upset. This person's even bordering on disrespect of God. But you want to know whose words these are? These are the words of King David. These are the words of King David in the midst of his distress. And this is using Psalms 10 and 13. And this is using the message version. You see, God wasn't upset with David. He actually put this as part of Scripture. Davis gives, Davis gives us the example of how we are to respond in the midst of death. Is that we cry out to God. We cry out to him because that shows faith. You're going to God, and it shows that you are honest and authentic because that's how you truly feel in that moment. I'll never forget one of the first times I ever really experienced a lament, and I've shared this with you guys before, is that I had the opportunity and the blessing to get into like the acting world and the acting industry, 
And, um, and I truly believed and felt in my heart, this is the path that God was taking me on. And uh, so I had a friend of mine who was also doing it. And this guy wanted nothing to do with God at all. He just, he was not a believer. He didn't want anything. He didn't know if he believed in God. And um, he booked a commercial for uh, Chunky Soup, Campbell's Chunky Soup. Now, if you know anything about this, is he got $15,000 for that one commercial. And then every time it shows on TV, he gets a check. That's why, like, Flo from Progressive, every time you see her on TV, she gets another check every single time. So here he is. He's booked the Campbell's Soup commercial for Chunky Soup. He gets $15,000. Oh, and yet again, they bring him back for another commercial for another $10,000. And I'll never forget, I was so angry. I was so angry. I was like, God, I don't understand. I'm on this path, and I am struggling right now to pay my bills. I am on this path that you brought me on right here, God. And this guy has got $25,000. He doesn't even believe in you. I don't get it. I was upset, but guess who I was going to? I was going to God. You see, God knew my heart. He knew that deep down, I wanted fame so that I could tell everyone about Jesus. But he knew how selfish I was. You see, what God was doing in the midst of that right there, he was drawing me closer to him. And he was changing me in the midst of that desert. He was teaching me how to rely on him. And what happened was I began to book several smaller jobs where I had the opportunity to really work on my craft and begin to work on my speaking skills. And then from there, I got a job at my last company where I got a job in training. I started to put together trainings and put together curriculum. You see, God was working in my life. The problem was when I was in the midst of the desert, I could only see this much right here. I couldn't see the big picture. And now that I can look back, I can go back and I can pull out a little bit. I'm like, yeah, God was using that because he was getting me to rely on him. And then when I pull back a little further, I can see, yeah, he was preparing me with all those several small jobs that he began to bless me with. And then I pull back a little further, and then I can see how he was preparing me for my job that I had. And that job was preparing me for the ministry that I was in. But when I was in the midst of the desert, I could only see this much. But what I did was I cried out to him because I didn't understand and I couldn't see everything. You see, when we're in the midst of the desert, we don't see him. I wanted success and God wanted my faith. God wanted me to know him. And God knew that if he had just given me everything I wanted when I wanted it, I wasn't going to grow in holiness. I was only going to grow in selfishness in my life. God's hesed love draws us to become like his son. Because what he tells us is your biggest problem is not the situation you're in. The biggest problem is you. The biggest problem is the sin in your life. And I will do whatever I can to get it out of you. Because that's what's ruining your life right now. And the way we do that is the lament. Jesus is our example because it was Jesus that was in the Garden of Gethsemane who cried out to his father who said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You see, Naomi doesn't see God's love in the form of Ruth because the scripture says Ruth the Moabite. It's emphasizing the fact that she is a foreigner and she has given up everything for Naomi, but Naomi doesn't see it right now. Our short-sightedness happens in suffering because we can't see God's plan at work. And what happens is we get cynical and we turn away from him saying, this doesn't work. 
where are you, God? And we begin to turn away from him. But what I'm telling you is the proper response is that when we lament in the midst of the desert, stay there. Stay in the story because you see that much right there. That's what the quote we mentioned two weeks ago, biblical scholar David Oswald, when he says, this was the Israelites' experience with God. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him. And he kept his covenant with them long after the persistent breaking of it had destroyed any reason for his continued keeping of it. And that is us. That is his grace. And it's based upon his grace. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul was saying in Ephesians' last, our last sermon series when he said, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And he goes on to say, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's God's hesed. It's God's unconditional love for us that allows us to come to him with anything. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And the way that we do that is we start off by sharing our true, authentic self in the lament. We cry out to him. Then the next thing that we do is we pray. We pray. Praying is one of the most underutilized tools for Christians. We just don't pray. Why? Because we just don't think it works. We just don't think it does very much. But I want to listen to the words that Jesus says. And he says this in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As their Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he goes on later to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see, the proper response is to lament and then we pray. And what Jesus is saying is, abide in me. He's saying, stay close to me. Continue in me. Remain with me. And anything you ask in my name, I will do. You see, what Jesus is saying is, when you remain close to me, and when you remain in me, when you ask me something, first and foremost, I appreciate you asking, because you came to me. And your Heavenly Father delights when you ask him. But what he also goes on to say is, give it to me, and let me do it in my will, because I'll do something with it that you never, ever would have imagined. Sometimes it means that he won't give us what we ask for because he knows that's not what's best for us. Sometimes he'll give us something that looks like it, but it's a little bit different. And sometimes he may give us exactly what it is that we ask for. But what we do is we go to him and we ask. And then you got to stay in the story. You got to watch what he does. You can't turn away. You see, that's what Paul goes on to also say in Ephesians when he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. 
I have seen this happen in my life so many times. I've seen it happen here with the ministry. I've seen it happen with my wife. I saw it happen with my mom. As my mom was going through an illness, my prayer was that God, I was like, please heal her. Not in my will, Lord, but your will. And what God did was he said, thank you for coming to me. Now watch what I do. You see, my mom passed away. But before she passed away, she came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. I didn't ask for that. But God was using that sickness as a way to bring her to himself. And then it was at her funeral that I spoke. And Aaron Harvey heard me. And he said, you know what, we should talk about what God may be doing in your life. And then from there, I began to preach sermons at Riverside to the point where I got into ministry. You see, oftentimes, when we think that God is giving us a snake, he's actually giving us bread. But we got to stay in the story and watch what he does. We can't turn away. We can't get cynical because we serve our Heavenly Father who loves us and he can do far more abundantly than anything that we ask or think. But we've got to watch, we've got to be obedient, and we've got to watch for him. And it may not happen exactly the way that you ask, but watch what your Heavenly Father does. You see, the full lament that Jesus said was, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He sees everything, and he knows everything, and he knows what's best for you in your life. And when we say, God, in your will, what we're saying is, bring your kingdom into my life. You see, the Heavenly Father loves an open, and he loves an honest heart. And God wants you to come to him when you're in the desert. You see, the first thing that we do is lament. The second thing that we do is pray. And then the third thing that we do, we do is we stay. And I love this Paul Miller quote, because what he says is, God is not a magician, he's a storyteller. And we got to stay in the story. When we lament and when we pray, it gives us hope in him. And there's hope in this story because the very end of this scripture says it was at the time of the barley harvest. And the barley harvest represents a time of God's favor, and it represents the beginning of the fruitful restoration of Naomi. There's hope, but she's got to stay in the story. I read this wonderful piece this week by a woman named Margaret Manning Shaw, and it's called Gaps, and it really represents the gap in between our hope and reality. She says this, she says, cognitive dissonance, the study of psychology tells us, is the internal tension that results when our experience doesn't match our professed beliefs and values. But perhaps dissonance is felt most acutely when it occurs in the realm of faith, commitments, and expectations. She says, why is it that even when the right thing is done, the good action taken, nothing appears to change in my life or circumstances? How is it that marriage can be so difficult and yet God's ideal for relationships? How is it that prayer seemingly goes unanswered even in the face of faithful and persistent prayers? You see, that's the life. That is the story of so many people in the Bible. You see, David's hope was to be a ruler of the kingdom, but David was the one that was on the run for his life. It was John the Baptist 
who had stood firm in his role preparing for Jesus, but it was also John the Baptist who stood in a prison telling his disciples, ask him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? You see, it was disciples who were expecting this new kingdom that Jesus was going to bring here, and it was the disciples who sat and watched their Messiah being nailed to a cross and killed. That's the gap. See, for each one of those people, what was expected was not what was experienced. Is this what your life looks like? Do you feel like this right now in the midst of the desert that you were in right now in your life? You see, she goes on to quote another author in that piece, and his name is Scott Cairns, and he says, his book called End of Suffering, and he says, might mining those gaps uncover the treasure of of encountering Jesus in new ways? Might mining the gaps we experience hold the treasure of new insight and the beauty of a more faithful devotion if we are willing to let go of comfortable assumptions and cherished expectations. You see, what God does in the midst of the desert is he changes us. And what we're called to do is you've got to remember his love. Always look to the cross because that is the ultimate example of God's love for us. It was a love that didn't even spare his only son. It's the gospel message. It's the cross where God saw us in our need. God stepped into our world, and God sent his only son to die and to be raised for us so that we can now come and approach our heavenly father in the midst of our need and ask him for anything because that is the hope that we have. Don't doubt his love in the midst of the desert. You see, the Israelites were still blessed, not because of their goodness, but because of his goodness and who he is. Naomi has lost a husband, two sons, and a daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law that she still has is a foreigner. Those are pretty good odds with God. God can do amazing things when things look bleak. That is the blessing of knowing him as your Lord and Savior. When you're in the desert, lament. Cry out to your Heavenly Father. It shows an open, authentic, and an honest heart. That's your true feelings. And remember his grace. Pray. Ask your Father anything. Why? Because he delights in you asking him. But what he says is abide. Stay really close to him and ask it according to his will. Why? Because he knows what's best. He knows what's best. And then stay. You got to stay in the story because God is not a magician. He's a storyteller and he's telling a story and it's a story that you are actually in. And we've got to listen to him We've got to look for him and be obedient to him. And then you'll really know and feel his love. Because he is our only hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often we just don't feel your love, Lord doesn't feel like you love us, Lord, in the midst of the suffering that we are right now, in the midst of the desert where we are, Lord. But we just pray, Father, hear us. 
draw us even closer to you, Lord. What is it that you need to do, Lord, to draw us back to you? To help us to fall in love with you, God, and to see that you want nothing but the best for us, Father. You want to make us like your son, Father. And even though it's as hard as it is to say this right now, God, we thank you for where you have us right now, Lord, because it helps us to depend on you and it helps us to see you, Father. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you've done through your son, Jesus, Lord. And we just come before you today, Lord, and ask you to take control. May your will be done in our lives, Lord. Help us to fall in love with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow, the heaven can't cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Burdens, lay down your shame. 
Lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, build up your faith. A wanderer, come home, you're not too far. Lay down your hurt.